0: Hey, Sales of Nation. It's your host, Tyler Lindley. Today, I have Alex Buckles on the podcast. Hey, Alex, how's it going? It's going. How are you, Tyler? Hey, doing great. Doing great. Alex is the CEO of Forecastable, which is a intuitive and collaborative sales acceleration platform. Today's topic, we're going to talk about the differences between SMB and enterprise selling. Alex, I know you have a lot of experience selling enterprise. I've got a lot of experience selling SMB, so we're going to have kind of two different perspectives. But I think sometimes we see these companies—they're selling SMB, and then they might get an enterprise deal, and the next thing you know, they're trying to sell enterprise. But there's a lot of differences between the two. There's a lot of variation, and it's not necessarily an easy transition. Talk to me a little bit about some of those difficulties that a company might have as they start to ease into that enterprise type sale.
1: Sure, like as you said, typically starts with an SMB company, typically series A, series B, they're closing a lot of SMB deals. And then all of a sudden they get that enterprise deal that falls in their laps. And again, it could be by happenstance. They just happen to win an enterprise deal and they're like, I want more of those. (laughs) It's a great lifetime value, larger deal sizes, but they're also much harder to earn and to earn systematically and intentionally. A lot of these folks will just take an SMB rep and say, okay, well, go close more of those. And it's not the same process. And I would say the biggest change It's just the number of stakeholders involved. And I'm sure we've all seen the statistics about the average number of stakeholders in enterprise deal, it's seven people, but it can be many more than that. And it's not just about going, can't just get to the decision maker, handle some objections, and then try to, to seal the deal. It's a group consensus game.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think for me, that was always intimidating because I was used to selling SMB. And when you had all these people, all these hands in the cookie jar, a lot of people involved in the decision, it was like, wow, I got a lot of people, a lot of different opinions to consider here, a lot of consensus to build. And for me, that was intimidating. How did you go about doing that as an enterprise rep?
1: It is intimidating for one. If you feel intimidated, it's okay. Everybody feels that at some point, just to state that. But two, it comes down to when you view the entire group, that's where it feels intimidating. All these different people and these different roles, a lot of them are senior leaders but at the end of the day each individual stakeholder has their own unique usually self-centered selfish interests as to why they want to purchase one solution over another and it's your job as the sales rep to go figure out stakeholder by stakeholder what is important to each individual and then hone in on that how do you deliver that value and you can't just deliver you have to let them know that you're delivering this value and, and say hey if i do this and i can deliver that do I have your buy-in? That's the type of conversation you want to ultimately end up having.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. You recommend doing this on the individual level where you need to go and have these individual conversations with each of these stakeholders?
1: Correct. Yes, I recommend you have individual conversations with every stakeholder when possible. It's not always achievable to have those one-off conversations, but you need to at least pay attention to each individual stakeholder. If you don't know what's important to this stakeholder over here, that could be a wrench in your gears in the last mile after you spent eight grueling months of your life trying to work <laughs> that deal only because you got a little lazy and decided not to take care of that one stakeholder. That's your fault. Yeah. So it's important to do it.
0: You bring up a good point there, eight months. Some of these enterprise deals take a long time. It takes a long time just to do some account mapping, figure out who are those stakeholders. You got to get all that individual buy-in. It's just a long drawn out process. One thing that I always found is I would lose patience, lose interest. You're playing the long game, which is so different than in a smaller sale where it's a little bit more transactional and immediate. might take a few weeks, a month or two. How do you stick through that grind of an enterprise sale, which can take a very long time?
1: It's tough sometimes, especially if it bleeds into multiple fiscal years. You have no idea what the comp plan is gonna be like next year. You have no idea what you're even gonna get paid on that deal. Mm-hmm. You wanna close it, and you don't even know if you're gonna have that account next year, possibly. <laughs> you wanna close it this year, yeah. if at all possible. To make it a little bit more manageable and to keep yourself sane, it's all about having a closed plan or a mutual action plan, mutual success plan. At Forecastable, we call them evaluation plans, Mm -hmm. because 100% of the time a buyer is evaluating the purchase of a product or service, and this is their plan to conduct the evaluation. And an evaluation plan is nothing more than a project plan. It's identifying everything that you think needs to happen between today's date and the date that you're forecasting to close the deal, which is typically your contract execution date. In the enterprise world, there's two very distinct cycles in a deal. There's decision process, that's generating group consensus, that's getting every stakeholder and converting as many as possible into supporters. And then there's paper process, Mm -hmm. and that is procurement, you might have legal redlining, you might have an information security review. And so documenting everything that needs to happen in collaboration with your prospects, so they're bought into the timeline, makes the entire cycle more manageable and predictable. Otherwise, you're just drifting in the wind, kicking the can down the road, might have a conversation every once in a while, but you're not really pushing the deal forward.
0: Yep. That makes sense. Are those two processes, the decision process and the paper process, are those typically happening simultaneously in an enterprise deal or do those happen separately? Are they one after the other, or how does that typically work?
1: The lion's share, it's separate, but a great enterprise AE will try to get that paper process started as early on as possible. You can test the waters with that. So for some tactical advice, you're in a deal, you feel like you're going to be getting vendor of choice. Maybe you already know you're going to get vendor of choice, but the official decision isn't going to come in for another three weeks for all vendors. So maybe you tell your champion, hey, Mr. Champion, we've got our master subscription agreement or MSA ready to rock. Why don't we get that process started now? Because I have no idea what the legal redlining process is going to look like. Any chance you can get that off the legal for review early. Mm -hmm. And if you can make that happen, you can save two or three weeks on your
0: deal. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You mentioned the vendor of choice. Do you feel like a lot of times in an enterprise sale? I feel like at SMB, we're we're mostly sometimes selling against the status quo, they might just choose to do nothing. Is that the yeah. same case in an enterprise upmarket sale? Is the status quo the biggest competitor? Or does an enterprise made the decision they're going to go with something they're looking at these three to five options, and they're going to choose one is the status quo always one? Is that the biggest competitor usually? Or is it usually you selling competitively with another vendor?
1: The status quo is usually the competitor if you're outbounding into the account. There's no defined initiative, there's no defined pain, there's no budget set aside for this, but you generate some interest. You uncover some pain, and at that point, the status quo will always be your number one competitor. Now, on the side where there's a defined initiative and the enterprise organization is like, okay, we need a new marketing automation platform. We already have this one platform. We're not going to look at them again. They're done. We're going to look at these other three, and here's our timeline. I love those because you already have the group at the table, budget's there, and now you're in the business of generating group consensus and just systematically working the deal.
0: Is that typically an RFP at an enterprise company? Are they usually putting out an RFP or are you finding that they don't or does it depend on the company?
1: I would say it's a 50-50 shot if it's an official RFP-driven process. RFP sometimes makes me cringe, sometimes (laughs) it makes me happy. It depends on how well structured the RFP is. I can't stand RFPs where they don't allow for proper discovery. And they try to build all this efficiency into their evaluation process, but they're really just doing themselves a disservice by not engaging each vendor the way they should be engaged. And so RFPs are hit or miss for me.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So it sounds like one thing I've heard is trying to get involved in the RFP before it even goes to RFP. You want to understand when they're going to RFP, understand some of those decision criteria that they're looking at. Oh yeah. That's ideal. I guess that doesn't always happen though. If you find out about an RFP after the fact, after it's already gone public, Are you dead in the water at that point? Usually are there already other relationships that are already made at the enterprise level or you still have a shot?
1: No, you have a solid shot. Even if you weren't involved early on in the RFP creation process, you have a very solid shot in the deal. But if you can get in at the RFP creation process, that's awesome. I've done that so many times where I feel like somebody's about to do something or they're about to put out an evaluation or they send out an RFP that looks a little light. I usually will float a standard RFP. It's obviously all the requirements are in our favor. This is not forecastable castles your prior companies. Mm-hmm. I'll say, hey, you know what, check out this document. Most RFPs for, let's say marketing automation again, let's say most marketing automation RFPs look like this. And these are the five categories yeah. that we typically see. Now I took a look at your RFP and you've got two of the five categories. Why is it that you left out the other three? Is that unintentional or is there a reason for that? Mm-hmm. And you just start poking at that thing and try to poke holes in it. And if you've done your job well, you've hopefully taught them something in that process.
0: Yeah. One thing that's interesting is when we think about this idea of team selling, selling with multiple people inside your organization. Smaller SMB sale usually might just be one person, maybe two or three are involved, but it seems like the further you go up market and enterprise deal, you need more than one stakeholder. Not only there's more than one stakeholder externally, but you need yep. more than one stakeholder internally helping to sell that deal. What does good look like there in terms of team selling in an enterprise deal?
1: There's a whole lot. So team selling is a lot of fun. So that's the name of the game though. Team selling is it. you can't loan ranger it. Use your team. An executive at a prior company once told me, she's like, if you're going to lose, Never lose alone. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of really stuck with me. And so when it comes to team selling, Let's say upfront, you're doing your outbounding, your hunting, you should be working with your SDR or your BDR on that account plan. What messaging are you using? Don't just spray and pray. There's a little bit of teamwork there in that regard. Then as you get into the cycle itself, your team starts expanding. Once an opportunity is on the table, your SDR, probably not so much involved anymore. They're off into the next thing. But now I might involve my manager. I might involve subject matter experts. I might get solutions consultants, technical architects. At times, let's say I've got a stakeholder that I know is struggling a little bit and they're on the fence and I haven't converted them to a supporter yet. Let's say they're a VP of marketing. I may grab our VP of marketing and say, Hey, mm-hmm. would you mind having a conversation with a stakeholder? I think she's struggling in this one area and just get a little bit of executive alignment there. You as the rep, use your team. You're quarterbacking this deal. You need to spot where there's issues in the deal all over, and you need to bring in the right people to go solve for those challenges and convert as many of those stakeholders into supporters as possible.
0: Right. The enterprise rep, there's a lot going on that they have to manage. There's a lot of moving parts here. If I'm a company and I want to go and find a good enterprise rep, what skills am I looking for? What are those intangibles? And I guess what backgrounds are successful in quarterbacking these large enterprise deals typically?
1: In terms of skill, hiring is always hard. So I yeah. hesitate <laughs> on that question because hiring is just a crapshoot. Like you try your best and at the end of the day, sometimes it's just possible. But point.
0: it's very different hiring an SMB yeah. rep, which is a little for bit sure. more straightforward versus this enterprise. It's very different. I just wonder, what would you even look for?
1: I'll just walk you through maybe a little bit of my own process. So when I'm looking at an enterprise rep, the first thing I start with is I want to talk about how do you build up your territory? What have you done in the past to do this, to get a feel for what they've done in the past? And are they creative? Have they held their own events before? Are they used to doing stuff like that? Are they reliant upon marketing 100% of the time? Or can they do their own outbounding? I'm a fan of separating. I don't think AE should outbound. I think it's a very separate function. I may ask some questions around that. I'll then get into process. I'll look heavily at sales process and focus on group consensus. I'll ask them specifically, how do you generate group consensus? What do you do? Just dig around that to see what they've done in the past. And I might have them walk me through a really hairy deal where they were—were they either succeeded or failed. It doesn't matter. The experience and seeing that they understand how to navigate the complexities of a large enterprise deal is really important to me. Another thing is probably self-sufficiency a little bit. Be surprised how many reps can't build a PowerPoint deck if a rep is going to sit around and wait for marketing to produce something for a presentation he's doing to a prospect, that rep is probably gonna waste a lot of time. And I have been burned hard a couple of times with reps not being able to build basic PowerPoint slides. Mm. Little things like that uh, are important to pay attention to as well. Yeah. Prioritization is a really big thing too. So managing priorities, it's like, is this the best use of my time at this very moment? And is the rep good at that? Or are they just chasing the next shiny thing and stuff like that? So I'll probably dig around priority management and stuff like that as part of my interview process.
0: Yeah. Back to our original question where we started the conversation. Is it possible for an SMB rep to make that transition to enterprise rep? Have you seen that? How do you make that transition? They might have some of these things, some creativity, group consistency, self-sufficiency, prioritization. They might have some good things in, in those areas, but they've never quarterbacked that big deal. So how do you know... If that SMB rep is right or not? And what does that maybe training look like to get them to that level?
1: I don't know if I would take a pure SMB rep that's never worked a large deal and just throw them into an enterprise role. Yeah, It's just too much deep end. Yes, I'm sure there are some exceptional SMB reps and vice versa. An enterprise rep could not go into an SMB role and succeed (laughs) like right out of the gate. They would spend way too much time on an account and work it. It's about volume and velocity and enterprise is not all about that. Yeah. So I would probably get them into larger deals but maybe like mid-market deals. Say, hey, let's get into a little bit of a larger deal. You're used to closing 10 to $15,000 deals. I want you in the 40 to 50 K range with a few more stakeholders. And then once they've done that successfully, then graduate to the larger, more complex deals.
0: Yep. That makes a lot of sense. And a lot of the companies that you see, a lot of sales orgs, do they bifurcate based on? Are they splitting up? We got SMB, mid-market, and enterprise. Usually those three buckets, or is it just two buckets? Usually smaller, larger. What do you typically see in terms of how companies are grouping their AES?
1: There's a wide range, but I would say the majority have commercial. They call it commercial yeah. for SMB, commercial and enterprise. And then you sometimes see, I'm starting to see a lot of growth, a growth role. So I see commercial, enterprise, and then growth, which means typically an account where you've got some footprint, there's room for expansion. It's not SMB because there's usually very little room for growth in an SMB account. And you want to have a team that's that's specifically there for upsell, cross-sell. And then the last category above enterprise, you might have some folks that will specifically call out major accounts or strategic accounts, and that would be the highest level.
0: Yeah. You bring up upsell cross-sell, which I think is, it happens in SMB, but not as much. Usually they're end up buying the majority of what that SMB product offering. They buy most of what they need on the front end. So there may not be that upsell cross-sell potential as much in an enterprise sale. Is that a huge part of the game in enterprise selling?
1: I think it is. Absolutely. Again, it depends on the organization you're in. A lot has to do with the comp plans. There's a lot that goes into whether or not it's worth upselling or cross selling. But I've had great success in my career selling into the install base. In my opinion, there is no better customer than your current customer. And that's where your loyalty should be. Focus on them, serve them well, and they will be there for you. They will continue buying from you. Yeah. But it is an essential part. And that happens, I think, if you have install base and your goal is to upsell, cross sell, build that close relationship with your customer success managers. Getting into the account, serving your customer, being there when they need you, don't just show up when there's an opportunity to support mm-hmm. them. Shoot them text messages. I used to try to break that text barrier as early on as possible in the relationship for whatever reason, any excuse to get that first text <laughs> message out the door. Yeah. And then once you have that, you've got to use it carefully. Once every month or so, I would text a customer and say, Hey, Sally anything that I can be doing to add value to your life right now, anything at all. And just random. And a lot of times I just say, no, I'm good. Sometimes I say, yeah, actually, you i not know, having a problem with support right now, which I wasn't even aware of yesterday. Yeah. And now they view me as having helped them. And it's just a really good situation.
0: Yeah, I think that's an important point that you bring up, not just when there's opportunity. It's not just when, oh, there's a clear opportunity for us to upsell them now because of this trigger event. So I think it's trying to build and maintain that relationship. Do you feel like in enterprise selling, there's a lot of that account management aspect? Were you typically the one that sold that net new deal and then that became your install base? Or did you just inherit that install base? Like, How long of a relationship was this typically? A few months or was this years and years and years of you working with the same customers?
1: For me, it was a couple of years. Uh, One company was there for a few years and I serviced the same customers for a few years. They knew me, they knew me well. I was always there for them, just top to bottom. And that did really well for me. They were loyal to the company. They were loyal to me they wanted me to make money. They're like, Hey, Alex, I've got a deal for you. We might be able to buy more of this. And I'm like, awesome. (laughs) That's the relationship you want with an enterprise customer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. What haven't we discussed yet in terms of what advice would you have for these companies that are starting to go up market, getting into enterprise selling? They've got a team of SMB reps. They've sold a few big ones, but they don't really know how to take that next step. What advice do you have for companies at that inflection point?
1: I would say, stop, just take a break. <laughs> Think about it. Don't just yeah. rush into it. <laughs> take a break, take a breather and focus on what are we doing? What will it take to close? And what, what does it take to close an enterprise deal? Yep. And then test the waters. You take your best rep or somebody that you know is exceptionally suited for enterprise role and just say, hey, let's go work this deal. Let's build that process. Figure out what process works first and then scale it instead of just saying, okay, we're going after enterprise now, new segment, go for it. That's how I do it. Just
0: yeah. Pause. Awesome. Be intentional. <laughs> Be intentional. That's great advice. Alex, how can my listeners find you online if they want to learn more about you?
1: Just follow me on LinkedIn. That's how most people communicate with me. So just feel free to follow me on LinkedIn. I post all the time. I respond to most messages. So shoot me a note there.
0: Perfect. Awesome. We'll link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. Alex, really appreciate you coming on and sharing your thoughts on enterprise selling. All
1: right. Thanks, Tyler. Take all right. care. Thanks,
0: Alex. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. You can find all the links discussed and the show notes at thesaleslift.com. That's the T H E Sales S A L E S Lift L I F T dot com. Have questions for me? Email me at Tyler at tyler@thesaleslift.com. We look forward to seeing you back here next week, and we hope today's show brings you the sales lift your business needs. Remember. Ideas plus action equals results. You've got new ideas, now it's time to take action and the results will follow. See you next time.